Howdy, church. Good to see you. want to welcome all of our campuses, not just Lone Tree, but Highlands Branch, Castle Rock, and Lakewood. Those that live stream us, those that are part of uh, our online campus, or maybe you're listening in the coming week or two. However you are part of the Greater JFC family, want to welcome all of you here. I got two uh, quick items of housekeeping concerning all of our campuses that I want to let you know about. Uh, last weekend, we introduced these uh, refrigerator magnets right here. We put them on everybody's chair. And I think we had 2,500 or something like that, and they were all gone that first weekend. So we printed another 1,200 of them. And if you want one, they're av available at the Connect, Serve, Grow in a basket out there. You pick it up and you'd grab it. And what we asked you to do was to take this home. We're teaching a series on blessing right now. And this has um, the Levitical blessing on it from Numbers chapter 6, 24. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And then the last part of this was why we printed it. So they will put my name on the people and I will bless them. Um, what we taught last week is that when the Bible tells us that by blessing each other, we put his name on you, what we're doing is a biblical issue at that point. It's not just a nice message, but it's a biblical precedent that we are people who are blessed so that we can be a blessing. Does that make sense? And so we printed these and asked you, hey, put it someplace in your house where you're going to read it intentionally, where you'll see it and it'll become a cognizant part of your thinking. Now, here's, here's the deal. Why do that? Let me, let me just show you something real quick that um, you've probably seen in the scriptures, but I think it's real important. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, uh, familiar scripture if you've been around the Bible, reads this way, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right, Paul is writing this to a church, so he's writing it to believers. Here's the point I would make to you. According to this, it's possible to be a believer but not have a renewed mind. Let me try that one more time with this group. It's possible to be a believer but not have a renewed mind. And the Bible says you need a renewed mind. A renewed mind is what enables you to think the thoughts that God thinks. In fact, I will say it to you this way. You can't afford to think any other way because it gets too expensive in your life. It will mess you up. So the Bible tells us we need to have a renewed mind. How do you renew your mind? Do you think that God is like a, a, a fairy godmother who comes along with a wand and just boinks you at the head when you go to church? And that's how it happens? Is it by osmosis? You lay the Bible on your head at nighttime when you sleep and you wake up in the morning and it's drained into your brain. Is it, how, how, how do you get a renewed mind? I mean, the Bible tells us that we need a renewed mind so that it's transformed. And I'll make the statement one more time. Transform people, transform churches. Transform churches, transform cities. Transform cities, transform nations. And transform nations bring revival to a world. It will not happen any other way. So if it doesn't happen on the smallest level of the people of God having a mind that is renewed and transformed. If we read that scripture, but we don't know how to do it. All right, I, I stand up here and I say the words and you all agree with me, but how do you do it? Let me take you to the easiest way. The word of God has a cleansing effect over your mind. When you read it, when you take it in, it cleanses the mind and it changes the mind so that you begin to think those ways. David said, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. When we read this, we begin to take it in and it becomes the way that we think first and foremost. You have a natural propensity towards the way you think. Let me tell you what's guiding it. Probably the newspaper or the world around you. Because it's what you're most in connect with. 
It's the default area. That's why the word of God needs to become what you associate yourself with more than the world so that this is the first way you think. Does that make sense? So we print these so that you'll take them home so that it'll become the opportunity to renew your mind. If you did not get these, go out in all of our campuses, every one of them, connect, serve, grow table. There's a basket out there. Grab this, put it on your refrigerator, put it in your bathroom, put it in your car, put it someplace where you have to see it and read it a couple of times a day and see what happens. It's, I, I think I read it takes 21 days to develop a habit. Unless it's food, you can develop a habit in 2.1 minutes. <laughs> But if anything else, take 21 days to develop a habit. Read it for 21 days and see if it, see if it, hey, put me to the test. See if it works. If it doesn't, you have stuff to stick those crummy drawings up that the kids bring home and put on the fridge. Okay, so there you go. There you go right there. Yes, I know, I know. Terrible. Last one. Um, last one. Let me just give you a quick update on our belief campaign. Uh, here's, here's where we are in preparation. The, um, the permits at this point are almost all done. We'll begin construction in just the next couple of weeks on, uh, over at Highlands Ranch on the office part over there. Then we come over here and we'll start on the children's stuff down here. Uh, that will all be taking place this, this summer before we even get going into the summer. All of that will happen. Of the 1.2 million, we've raised 600,000. One half of it has been raised, right? Get, you guys give yourself a hand for that. That's, that's tremendous. We are blessed by that. That's just since January Thank you so much for, for doing that. Um, here, here is something that uh, Pastor Dan showed me numerically that I, it, he, he said it this way. He said, John, our strength is our weakness and our weakness is our strength. And he explained it this way. We have a church, um, most churches go by this rule, the 80-20 split. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, but 80% of the, of the people um, don't do much. 20% end up doing the work of the 80%. At our church, believe it or not, it is verifiable, provable. We've got well over 80% of our folks involved in giving and involved in different ministries in our church. It would be the exact opposite. We only have about 20% that, that aren't involved, but 80% fully are. 80% of our people have participated in our uh, campaign right now. We are thrilled with that. It gives a great base of support. Here's the situation, though. We don't have, of all of our families in our church, we don't have any really big hitters, people that write checks for $100,000 or $200,000. That, that $600,000 has come primarily from people writing checks for $1,000 or $1,500 or a couple thousand dollars, something like that, $500. It, it's a tremendous benefit to have it, but then when it comes to finishing up the project, you don't have those big gifts. So here's what we're faced with. To do the project, we either have to say, folks, We've got to keep doing this or we're going to be forced to go to the bank. I don't want to go to the bank. Gosh, thank you folks for that. Yeah, so you, you're like, yeah, here's, what, here's what I felt like when I said that. Like, well, it's your project. It's not my project. I don't live here. Are you surprised by that? So like, I thought you did. I thought your address was 9830 Lone Tree. No, this is my church too. And I am giving in this project both one time and monthly towards it and participating in that and have asked all our pastors to. I need to come back and ask our church, we need to finish this project up. To get halfway done will not be good. And to go to the bank doesn't do the church the justice that it deserves. Taking on more debt rather than paying cash for it, that's not the way to do it. I, that scares me when people don't. That, 
Taking on debt's not the way to do it. At least, at least make me feel good and agree with me with that. Maybe you're living something different, but at least tell me that you're not. But it's not, it's not the way to do it. Paying that thing off in cash puts the church in a better position financially, and it's a project that we can handle. So here's what I'd like to ask. If you haven't been involved in it, maybe you've come since we started that. Maybe, maybe you just, uh, uh, you know, you haven't prayed about it. You didn't feel like it was something that you could do. Maybe, let me ask a couple of things. If you've not prayed about it before, would you pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit if you're supposed to do anything? And if God tells you to do something, would you do it? And the second thing would just be simply this. Maybe, maybe you're in a position where you can't do anything, but would you do this? Would you tell the Lord if he provides for you that you'd be willing to give out of that? How many of you would be willing to do that right there? And you would just tell the Lord, if you provide for me, then I will do it. Here's what I want to say. Don't be surprised that if you do that, God doesn't do something for it. But don't forget what you said. Don't forget. Because God keeps really good books. And he will bless you if you ask him to. And he will provide for you. If you don't have it, ask him. God, if you give it to me, I would do something for our church in this situation right here. Put him in a position. Use a little faith. See what happens in the situation. But let me just throw that back out. We need to finish this project up. Um, Chris and I are going to go back. We're going to pray about it again. If there's more that God wants us to do, then we'll do more too. I, I would ask you to do something we're unwilling to do. Um, but it just, it's common sense is we should pay for that cash if we can pay for it rather than having to go to the bank. So that's our hope. I I'm not saying we won't do the project if we don't get it cash, but uh, if we can, do you agree that's the best way to go? Yeah. Hey, Aren't you glad you're not me right now? I'm, I'm the one that has to end up here, sitting up here doing it. I, I, I get it. All right, enough of those things. Let's jump into this message right here. We're in a series, something that I totally enjoy talking about, the blessing of God. We started last week, and uh, we're going to pick up part two tonight. Um, if you grab your notes right there and follow along with me, all of our campuses, you should have those. Uh, go ahead and find the intro. It just says, welcome all JFC to our series called Bless. I realize it's not a very sophisticated title, but in one word, it describes the fullness of what we're trying to talk about, the fact that God has blessed us to be a blessing. Now, I, I taught uh, a class earlier, and this class is for uh, people in leadership or in ministry. And all it is, I, I do it normally on the first Saturday of the month. Uh, it didn't work out to be able to do that this way. Uh, this particular month, I had to move it to another Saturday, so I was teaching it. And uh, as I taught that class, what I'm doing there is teaching things from 27 years of full-time ministry. And I'm telling that group of people that this year, this being the 15th year of the church, I'm going back uh, spiritually and taking inventory and looking at the things we, have, we were teaching 15 years ago, things that were non-negotiables, things that made Jubilee the church that it is. Now, we've changed in a lot of ways. We've grown. We've become uh, multifaceted in campuses. We've hired a lot of people. We, we do missions like crap. I mean, a lot of things have changed, but there are certain things inside of our church that have never changed. They're the non-negotiables of our church, certain beliefs that we have, certain ways that we do things. One of those non-negotiables that started 15 years ago was teaching on blessing. I believe that God is a blesser, the source of all blessing, and I believe that God likes to bless us. Amen. I think that that's God, part of God's purpose and his will for our lives is to bless us. And if somebody goes, well, I just don't believe that, what's wrong with you? How do you see God? Is God mean? Is God out to get you? Some people truly believe that. And I would, I would just argue this with you facetiously for a moment. If God was out to get you, why hasn't he got you yet? How big is your God? How fast is your God? How fast are you? Maybe that's the other question. Here's what I say. If God wanted to get you, the 
only proof there would be is a grease spot where he got you. That's, there would be the only proof, a plaque that said he got him. That's it. God is not out to get you. If God wanted to get you, he could have got you. God loves you and he cares for you and he has a plan and purpose for your life. And it goes beyond just making it. God wants to bless your life. Today, as we got into last week, sort of the overarching idea of blessing, today I'm going to take it a little more towards um, how the blessing functions in our life. How, if, if the Bible says that God blessed us to be a blessing, so how does that function in our lives? How do we live that out? How do we walk that out? So I, I'm going to talk about the power of words, the power of words. Now, a couple of quick, um, a couple of quick identifying traits. Years ago, I did a marriage conference where I had this illustration. I took a tube of toothpaste. Everybody in this room who was married, raise your hand. Okay, yes or no, words are important in a marriage. If you don't believe that, bet you're not married right now. Thank you for laughing out there. You get it. So I took a tube of toothpaste. I said, these are words. Here's the problem with words. Squirted it out onto a big paper plate said, okay, you say things when you're angry, and then you say sorry, and you try to put the words back, put the toothpaste back in the tube. How well does that go? Now, you make a mess out of it, don't you? I took a drill, and I drilled into a board. I said, words also have the ability. It's like a drill, man. It goes right into a person. And then, then you say you're sorry, and you pull the drill back out. The problem is you created a mess there, didn't you? And just saying I'm sorry doesn't fix it all the time, does it? We think, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean that. But it doesn't change what the words could do. We grew up with a myth. Here was the myth that we were told as children. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but... Is that a lie or is it truth? It's a lie. I will say to you this right here. I can remember things that were said to me in anger far more than I can remember any fight I got into when I was a kid. I can remember things that bosses told me that were limiting or things that bosses told me that were helpful to me. I can remember compliments that I was given that made such a difference in my life. And I can remember cuts that were given to me that were so hurtful that they almost helped to identify things that I didn't like about myself. Labels almost can get put on a person. Say it long enough and it is like a label. Here, here's what I know. You can begin to act out of the paradigm that you believe. It may not be the truth, but it's your truth. Do you hear that? So how powerful is a lie? Well, the enemy uses them to enslave entire governments. His power is completely tied up in the fact that he's a great liar. And when we agree with a lie, we empower the liar. Remember that. When we agree with a lie, we empower the liar. So his power is directly connected to the agreement that we give to him. That's why our words become so important, because when we speak for God or we speak for the enemy, listen, your words cannot be like Switzerland and they're neutral. Hear me on the issue. You, the, the word blessing and the word curse in the Hebrew are separated by a vowel. They are so close in their approximation of what they mean, but one means to come from God and one means to come from the enemy. Do you follow that? It comes from the same idea, the root understanding, that it's spoken. A blessing or a curse is a spoken issue. One from God, one from the enemy. 
The power of words. Matthew's gospel, chapter 12, verses 32 and 37. And I'm going to have to take a swig of water. I apologize. I have uh, used my throat uh, pretty harsh here. Matthew 12, 32 through 37. Matthew writes, anyone who speaks a word, so quickly, so that you can understand the context. The, the beginning sentence here gives us the context. It's words. So I'm not twisting anything. I'm not making it say anything that it doesn't say. I'm not trying to render a context here for my benefit. You can see that the context is anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Verse 33 in my notes, I highlighted it in white. Um, I'm not sure if it's that way in your notes. If you have a pen or a highlighter or a pencil, whatever you've got, I want you to circle 33. 33 is an important verse. Jesus is speaking. So he says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. Verse 33, Jesus uses an analogy. Look at this. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. Now we're back out of the analogy, right back into 34. Brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. 37, for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. First and foremost, the context of this particular few verses of scripture is on words, yes or no? I'm not making it say anything that it's not saying, correct? Context is about what we're speaking and it's about words. Verse 33 Jesus, Jesus is talking to Pharisees right here. He's talking to religious leaders, people who practice piety with their words, but they don't mean them. Verse 33 is an incredible verse in that he pulls sort of, sort of a Jesus teaching. A Jesus way of teaching is that he's talking to a group of people, and all of a sudden it's like he steps over here and says something completely outside of it, and then comes back over here and finishes up what he was saying. 33 is the gem in the scripture. 33 is the promise. 33 is the, is the thing to get out of it. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and fruit will be bad for a tree is known by its fruit. The whole context up until then is words and the power of your words and what your words can do. So let me give you three things to know about verse 33 that I think are really interesting. Number one, you decide what the tree is. Jesus is not talking about trees for the sake of trees. He is not a horticulturalist. He is not into plant. He's not trying to get people to go plant trees. He's just using it by analogy. A tree produces fruit. So he's actually, here's what he's really talking about. He's talking about the fruit that comes from something. Everything produces fruit. Everything in life produces fruit. Your marriage produces fruit, good or bad. Friendships produce fruit, good or bad. Children produce fruit, good or bad. Our work relationships produce fruit, good or bad. So Jesus just makes this overarching 
analogies. This is so powerful. Make a tree good and its fruit be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit be bad. A A tree is recognized by its fruit. Okay, number one, you get to decide what the tree is. Maybe a better way to understand it would be to say it this way. Here's a hint. What are you trying to get fruit from in your life? What do you want to produce good fruit in your life? Do you want your marriage to produce good fruit? Gosh, I I would love for every husband in here to have gone, yes! Do you not know about points? What what is this? I know the teacher in here does better than this. I'm going to try one more time. Do you not want good fruit from your marriage? Of course you do. Of course you do. I'm going to say this to you. Listen to me. Talking alone is not enough. But talking about your marriage in a positive way is important to get fruit out of it. You can curse or bless your marriage. You curse or bless your spouse. You begin to produce an identity by the words that you are speaking. You frame or hem a person in or you set them free by what you say to them. If you consistently curse them in your marriage, you will begin to eat bitter fruit. If you consistently bless in your marriage. Now, I'm not saying just talking words to be blah, 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 blah. Talking head stuff. This this is the very issue that Jesus is saying. He's talking to Pharisees who say one thing but mean another. So it doesn't work just to say words. When you say them with with good intentions, with my heart is really behind this. When you bless your spouse, there is power in that. When you curse your spouse, there is power in that. Children are another excellent example of this. You will get fruit from your children. Anyone in this room old enough to begin eating fruit from your children yet? There's a few. Some of you, your children, they're they're not, they're they're just little sprigs. And that's not a bad word. Don't don't be like, they are sprigs. That's exactly what they are. Son of a sprig. So stuff come from? (laughs) The Bible says, out of the good things in the heart, the man brings forth good things. (laughs) They're, they're, they're small. They haven't, they're, they're not, they haven't developed yet to give fruit. Here's where we are. Um, Recently, we took Daniel, our youngest, over to youth with a mission. Daniel, um, Daniel kind of did his own thing, went his own way, walked his own path. Our other kids were kind of like A-type personalities, knew what they wanted to do, where they were going. Daniel just sort of, la, 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 you know, that one. How many of you had that one? You know, that one, he just walks, he walks to the beat of a different drummer. He does his own thing. What everybody else wants to do, he doesn't want to do it. It's just the way that it is. So when he graduates, he doesn't know what he wants to do. Doesn't know where he wants to go. So we put him in school, put him in college. And I may as well have taken that money, driven down I-25, opened the window, thrown it out. <laughs> because I got the same result from it. <laughs> <laughs> after one semester and he said this it, you're not going to like this I said what am I not going to like he said the grades are not there I said I do not like that you're right but I hate I hate paying for it worse than I'm glad you came and told me you don't want to do it right now let's don't do it what do you want to do so I think I want to work for a little while you sure yeah See, we got a job at Garbanzos. 
And I, I told Chris, I remember telling her at times, don't worry about this. Life has a way of teaching lessons. He will not want to do this for the rest of his life. Just let him, let him do this right now. And if he does, we got another issue that we're dealing with. So it, was, it wasn't that long before he decided this was not the way he wanted to go with life. But what do you want to do? Well, I'm really good at video games. Okay, I get that. But that's, that's, we've had, so we gosh, the prayers and the counsel, the years that went into, for him to finally say, I, I want to go to youth with a mission. I want to pursue God. I got a call from him yesterday. It's private information. It's his thing. It's not my thing. So I'm not at liberty to share. But to have my son tell me where he's at with God, what God's doing in his life, that's fruit. Um, here's what I'm going to say. Listen to me. You can't pay money to get that kind of fruit. Not a person in this room rich enough to pay money to get that kind of fruit. Doesn't happen that way. Your money can't buy that. There's a certain skill level that becomes necessary to help that. But then I'm going to say this. I want you to listen to me. If you think that I'm sitting up here bragging about my parenting skills, you're absolutely wrong. Because I had no good mentor to teach me. I had a really good God who overcame handicaps. And when you do things the way that God lays it out for you, here's the blessing and the benefit of it. You eat fruit from places you're not even smart enough to know how you planted it. I don't know if you understand what I just said to you. God has a way of causing you, the blessing in your life, when you do it God's way, he has a way of bless. Here's why we do it his way. To eat the blessing he promises us. Does that explain that? Okay, now, now listen to me. Some of you are like, hey man, I did that. Fruit doesn't always come in times when we think it's going to come. Cannot point across the board at everyone and say we're getting this tremendous amount of fruit from every, some of them are in different places right now. Marriages, any of you that have been married long enough to know, there are seasons of fruitfulness in marriage, isn't there? There are times you receive more than others. When you're not receiving it, that's the time to sow more so that you bring something out of the ground later. Does this make sense? That's not the time to give up and curse it. So I've ended up in a place I wasn't exactly planning on going here. So the hint would be, what are you trying to get fruit from in your life? Because Jesus teaches, make the tree good. Remember, the context is words. Remember? The context is words. In the middle of that, he gives an analogy. Make the tree good and the fruit will be good. How do you make the tree good? By your words. It's the very thing that he's teaching here. Make the tree good and the fruit will be good. Make the tree bad and the fruit will be bad because the tree is known by its fruit. I think children are a perfect illustration of that. Take a child at its most formative age and reinforce inside of that child that God willed for them to exist. Reinforce inside of that child that they are, listen to me, this, this is not the psychobabble 
that American helicopter parents are into. You're good, you're great, there's no one like you. It's not what I'm saying. This is telling a child, you are special and you are unique because your existence proves it. You're not here, here's the world's mission. You're here accidentally. A cosmic belch here and a few billion years there, and here you are. Here's God. He skillfully pulled out of his quiver your life, aimed down at 2013, and shot you into existence. You live right now during this age and this generation because your life contains something the people around you need or you're not here. That, be, that becomes the message that must be reinforced by the people most responsible. Here's what I would say to you. Abdicate that and the devil waits at the doorstep to tell them that they're worthless. Yeah. Hear me on this issue, please. At your own peril, ignore me right now. Abdicate your responsibility to tell your children of their meaning and their uniqueness and why it is that they exist. And if you don't know, if you're not even sure why God put them here, then say this, I, God hadn't spoken to me, but I will take you to the one who does know and together we will find out. Take your child to God. But begin that process of consistently reinforcing value and reinforcing benefit that God knows you and God chose you and God crafted you. God carefully, it reinforce in them. They're made in the image of God. Anybody hear me? Because you have a world who is, they are yelling as loud as they can at your kids that you are here for no reason other than accidental biological purposes only. Am I right or wrong about that? Removes all uniqueness in a person's life when that's done. Take a formative child. Tell them over and over, you're a mistake. Tell them over and over, we didn't want you. Tell them over and over, you're an accident. What do you develop? A mentality of a child who doesn't know why they're, they will live, they'll live like tourists on this world. Consuming and eating as much as they can of a good time you only go around once. As opposed to people who get a responsibility towards this earth and towards the people that they're living with. I'm teaching better than you're giving me any credit for right now. I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to lose my voice doing this, but I'll lose it gladly. I, I'm straight up. To, to take that child. Here, here's, here's the difference. You are not God. You cannot with your words create from nothing something. I am not claiming that. But take a child who, who is, it's not formed yet. The Bible says God spoke into the darkness to what was without shape, what was void, and he created from the, from the void something. Take that child uncreated yet, undeveloped yet. The script is not, it's not been revealed yet. Help write the script. Help write it. Speak into what's not formed yet and call out destiny. Call out purpose. Never let them forget because all the times in their life when they will forget, your job is to remind them this is who you really are. Got that journey of becoming from a kid to an adult. How many of you went through those times of not knowing who you were? Some of you are like, still there. <laughs> I, I get it. 
That's, is it not so important then for someone above you to remind you who you really are? So I, I made this statement recently. Here, here's the difference between condemnation and conviction. The enemy works through condemnation. God works through conviction. Condemnation tries to link your sin with your identity. For instance, if you lie, the devil will say, you're a liar. He links your sin with your identity. Conviction is this. If you lie, the Holy Spirit convicts you and says, you're not a liar. That's not who you really are. Why are you doing that? And God then calls us back to who we really are. The devil tries to lock us into a picture of who we're not. That makes sense? This is the, the power to be able to reinforce. So a boss, if you're a boss, the chance to, to use your position, the greater the authority, the more power the words. Pastor, any pastor in this room, I'd speak to you for a moment. The necessity to have your relationship with God as first and foremost, so that when you go this way, you're saying, you're calling people to their true identity. Instead of standing up and preaching all the stuff that's just in your mind, you got to preach his mind. That's the... now, words, words are very powerful. So I, I just put down in your notes a tactic in the Old Testament A tactic in the Old Testament of a captured city. When a city in the Old Testament was to be captured, they would besiege it. They would surround it so that nothing could get in and nothing could get out. In the hopes that when the city ran out of food or water, it would have to surrender. When the city surrendered, uh, it, depending on the anger of a king or their reason for, for fighting, not every time was it a kingdom's desire to just go in and destroy everything. One of the ways to expand your kingdom was to take over a city and to take over those people and to make them your subjects. So a tactic in the Old Testament that many Old Testament kingdoms would use, they would surround a city to besiege it. When the city would fall, they would come in, they would take the best and the brightest youth. They would bring them into their governments, into their king's courts, to teach them the language and the literature of their people, and then the first thing they would do is change their names. I want you to follow this. So Daniel, remember the story of Daniel? Daniel, Daniel uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are all uh, captured from Jerusalem and taken into captivity by Babylon. They change all four of their names. Why change their names? Because when you change the name of something, you're reassigning the destiny to it. Little names in Hebrew were little sentences. Daniel meant God is my judge. So every time they called his name, they're reminding him that Yahweh is your judge. They changed his name. Do you remember his name when they changed it? Belteshazzar. What did Belteshazzar mean? They worshiped a God named Baal. It meant Baal is your judge. So every time they called him, they wanted him to forget about Yahweh and to remember Baal. To give a new name to something was to reassign its death. Are you following me on this? Or, okay. 
This is why names become important. What we call something assigns a destiny to it. What we name it gives it a purpose. It's why Adam was allowed to name the animal. God didn't pre-name the animals. Do you remember? He brings them in front of Adam and tells him, what are you going to call them? Adam assigns them names. How did he do it? He looked at the character and the nature of the animal and then gave them a name befitting the character. We should look. What is it that God says about, listen, what is it that God says about something and call it by its true identity? Look at your children. What is it that God says about your children? Call them what God says. Look at your spouse. What is it that God says about your spouse? Call them what God says. Look at yourself. What is it that God says about you? Call yourself what God says. Look at your pastor. What is it that God says about him? Call me what God says. Some of you are calling me too much other stuff. Call me what God says. Do you get what I mean? Is this important? How do I do do this? I said a few minutes ago, the reason we do it God's way is to get God's blessing. How many of you want God's blessing on your life? I mean, you really want it. Do you think you get it by doing it your way? I'm going to make a harsh statement right here. No, it's not a harsh statement. I'm going to make a heavy statement in a loving way. I want you to listen to this. We live in a day and an age where people today are cohabitating together before they're marrying. It's no judgment on our part. We love you and you're welcome in our church. But I make this statement without any reservation whatsoever. Hear me. Do you want the blessing of God upon your relationship? You can use it as a rhetorical question to ask yourself right now. Do you want God's blessing on your relationship? If your answer is yes, praying for his blessing while living outside of what he said will not bring his blessing. To get his blessing, you must do it his way. Now, follow me back to this point. You live your life without the blessing of God on it. You're praying and ask, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. Do the simplest things that God gives us to be blessed. Speak it. You're saying, God, I want to be blessed. Do you, do, you, do you practice the principles that he gives to be blessed? Speak his blessing. Go back to this. I give you this. And some of you are like, well, why, why do you even spend the money on that? Because I'm trying to transform your thinking. Because my job as pastor is to worry about your soul. Do you know the Bible says your job is to cooperate with me and not to make my job harder? It says that. Not to make my job harder. Here's what it says. It'll go better for you. Do you know that the Bible says that? So even if you go, well, that's a stupid magnet. Take it anyway. Make it easier on me. Put, get two of them. You know, if you think it's stupid, get five of them. Put them all over your house. Bless yourself. Bless your children. Here's what I know. Here's, I am telling you this. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. You are doing one or the other, but you're not neutral. You're blessing or you're cursing, but you're not neutral. You think you are, but you're not. If I could hear your words for half a day, I could tell you. 
Water seeks its own level. We were all taught that in school. Your words do the same thing. We go to the easiest, the easiest thing is the way we go to. That's why your mind has to be retrained to think God thoughts. The Bible says his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. Therefore, there has to be a retraining. Does that make sense? Now, let me, let me, uh, I'm going to have to move through here. Um, Two, words are life or death. Words are life or death. Proverbs 18.21, find it in your notes right there. When did you get this up here? I bless you. Oh, man. Just talk amongst yourselves for just a minute. Bless somebody next to you. There, do that. All right. Let me, uh, let me clean up here while I do this. All right. Um, words are life or death. Proverbs 18, 21. I'll count to three. Why don't you guys read this out loud with me? Short scripture. One, two, three. The tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. It's a very powerful scripture. It's a scripture that I think we read and that we don't tend to take as literal. But Jesus himself teaches that with our mouth we're getting fruit. Then the Bible teaches that that fruit can be life or death. Life or death, it doesn't mean literal life or death. It's a spiritual life or death. It's a living life or death. It's a a joy or a a sterility. It's a a peace or a war. Do you get it? I put down in this note, I called Dan. Actually, I texted him first and I called him on this. When I was studying this, this is my opinion. Okay, on this one, this is my opinion. And some of you are like, you don't get an opinion, just teach the word. It's my opinion. I do get an opinion. I think this scripture, if taken literally, can make you rich or poor. All right, now give me a chance to prove my point. Here's what I have learned, even in our situation here at the church. The people that have prospered on our staff, that have been promoted, that have risen through the ranks, are people, listen to me, who know and understand how to use their words. Now, don't misunderstand and think people that flatter him, he promotes. I hate flattery. I detest flattery, and I call flattery out in my presence. Nobody likes to be buttered up like that. But people who know how to use their words, who understand how how to give strength to a person, especially to a leader, who understand that their words form, in cases, shields, protective enclaves around their leader. Those are the people you draw closest to you, yes or no. And here, some of you, you think, here's what you think. 
You think, you know what? Here, here's what people, I don't get promoted. And the reason they don't promote me is because, man, they just don't like the fact that I tell the truth. So it's not the truth that you're telling. You don't know how to use your words to serve. Your words are like nitroglycerin. They can heal a heart or they can blow it up. Do you hear me? So I'm going to be mean to you right now. Listen to me. I'm trying to help you. My name's John. I'm your pastor. People, salesmen. Let's use that. Salesmen have learned to harness the fruit of their mouth. True? A person, one of the things I look for in the people that get, I, I will talk to anybody, but very few people have access to my heart. Do you hear that? I'll have a conversation with anybody. I'll talk about virtually anything. But very few people do I let into my heart. Before I let anybody close to my heart, I listen very carefully to how they speak. Because words are very powerful. They are very powerful. I don't have time to develop more of that. That in and of itself is worthy of helping people with. Your mouth. James said, a fully mature believer is one who has their tongue under complete control. So I think in those terms, how often my words are not in control, measure that with how far I need to go to mature. Anybody else have that problem? God, you know, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think a lot of times we think, stub your toe, and that's what was in your, that's the abundance that was, I don't think that that's the abundance that was in your heart. I think that's anger. Here's, here's what the abundance in your heart is. What you speak about when there's, you're just, blah, 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 you're just talking. That's what is inside of you. Is it a blessing or is it a curse that's coming out of you? Do you hear? All right. <clears throat> Let, let's, uh, it, so you go, okay, that your opinion, but, but what, what's the Bible say? All right, Jesus on the power of words. John chapter 6, verse 63. Look at this real quick. This is Jesus talking. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. This sentence. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are Jesus himself taught the very issue. The words he's, they're not just dead. They're spirit, they're animated, and they're life-giving. If that's true, is it possible that other words are dead and death-giving? Sure, sure. By implication alone, it has to be true. Three. And I'll just finish this message up right here with this. The most important words in all the Bible. What do you think they are? Uh, some of you just looked ahead on my notes and you're going to say it out loud. But don't. What do you think the most important words in the Bible are? So I, I, here it is. Mark 9, 24. I do believe. 
Those are the most powerful words in the word of God. When you say, I believe something, you give the opportunity for the word to do something in you. When you hear a message and you go, I believe that, you're giving way for the spirit of God to do something in your life. When you believe something, it opens up possibility. When you say, I don't believe it, you close yourself off immediately to any possibility for God to do something. How powerful are those words? Mark chapter 6, Jesus goes to his hometown, coming from three incredible miracles. He raised the dead back to life, touches a woman who was bleeding to death internally, listen to this, and casts a thousand demons out of a guy. After doing those three miracles, he goes to his hometown. He wants to go do some miracles there. And the Bible says he could only heal a couple of people and could do no great work because the people there didn't believe. Even Jesus was hindered by the lack of belief. We tend to think he was God, could do whatever he wanted to, whenever he wanted to. Here we have an example where he was hindered by the belief of the people around him. I would say this, if you just heard what I said, if a church ever linked onto the idea, we believe God, could revival happen? Could a city be turned upside down? Instead of having to figure out how we're going to legislate all these things, what if the hearts of our county and city turned towards God so that no law had to be regulated? People, God would write their laws on, uh, his law on their heart because they heard from him. Does he even move that way? Go back and read Acts 19. Acts 19 is an entire city comes into revival because they believed. His words are powerful. Hey, look at me and let me ask you, what do you believe right now? Is, is what I said, do you believe it? Does it motivate? Or is it just, man, hey, that's nice. Nice little fella up there. <laughs> nice pastor. Got a nice haircut. Gave us a nice magnet. And it's a nice day. You'll go home to your nice house with your no nice miracles going on. What do you want? Honestly, what do you want to have happen in your life spiritually? I want to explode. I want God to show up tonight in a brand new way. I want the people that live all around me to know how good he is. I want people that are sick to be healed. I want those who are depressed to be set free. I want those who are hurting to be bound up and to be made whole. I want those who are confused to understand. I want those who are plagued to have peace. I want marriages where they hate each other to turn around and love each other. That's just horrible. That everybody in here wants the same thing. I want my children to prosper. I want them to do better than I ever did. I want them to stay in their marriages and love each other. I want them to have lots of grandchildren. I want my grandchildren to grow up and love me. I want them to serve God. I want them to give their lives for the kingdom. I want my people to come to this church and be so happy. I want it to be known this is 
the presence of God is amongst that group right there. Yeah? I want it to come and go with us when we leave here. I want you to bring it, not come to try to find it. That's what this is. That's the whole thing. That's what the whole thing is. That's, that's it. So then we come to the end. So what are you going to do? What do you want? What do you want? You get to choose. Make the tree good and the fruit will be good. Make the tree bad and the fruit will be bad. The trees are known by the fruit. We get to choose. We get to choose. Some are like, I wish God would do something. What if he's yelling at you? Choose. Choose you this day. We're like, man, I wish God would move. <laughs> Why won't God move? <laughs> Pray with me. Father, God, we just come before you. Lord, my confession of these people is that, God, my words in and of themselves, they're just, they're words. But my words that come from your heart they become supernatural. My words, God, that you touch, that you spark, that you put inside, that you anoint, now they're not just words. Now they're tools, they're weapons. They're, they have ability in them. The reason you told the ironic priesthood to bless your people was that you were trying to call out of them their destiny. You were trying to show them who they really were. You were trying to tell them that no matter what message was preached to them, the final word over their lives is that they are blessed. Church, did you ever understand why it's called the benediction? The benediction is the final word spoken. Why did God want the blessing to be in the very final word that's spoken? Because he wanted you to know he gets the final word over your life. And the final word is that you are blessed. Doesn't matter anything else that's gone on. It doesn't matter what the enemy has said. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are saying. I'm not saying that they're not important or that they are not real or that they don't hurt. I'm saying that ultimately God is greater than those things. And the final word over your life is that you are blessed. You are not cursed. Bible says you're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, that you're blessed, you're not forsaken. It's God's purpose on your life. I wonder when I'm saying these, does it just, does it just enter in one ear and go out the other, or does it sink in somewhere deep in your heart? Do you long to know what it means to be the blessed of God? Are you living out the blessing of God? I ask in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, penetrate your heart right now. You go deep, deep inside of you. Hey, look up at me real quick. Years ago, I studied this and I learned this. I taught our people this. It's funny, you just, not every time can you do the same thing. When the high priest would give that blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, he'd raise his right hand because the right hand was the hand of blessing. And Israel would raise their right hand signifying I want in on the blessing. I'm going to bless you. 
the final word over your life is that you are blessed. Beyond what you're experiencing today, beyond where your families are at, beyond what your checkbook says, beyond what the doctor says, beyond what your own mind says, God blesses you. The Lord holds you in his hand and the Bible says no one can snatch you from there. God hems you in above, beneath, and all around so that the enemy can't come and steal. God is your shield. God is your righteousness. God is your truth. God is your protector. And God is on your side. I pronounce the blessing of God over your mind. I pronounce it over your heart. I pronounce it over your family over your marriage, over your children and your grandchildren. I pronounce it over your hopes and over your dreams. I pronounce it over the things that God told you long ago that you don't even dare to say anymore because it seems like it'll never happen. I ask that the Holy Spirit stir back up promises right now and that God's final word over your life is yes. I come against the lies that the enemy has used to reinforce identity in you that has given you a false understanding of who you are and what you're supposed to do. I bless you with health, physical health and spiritual prosperity. I bless you right now to know the purposes, the heart, and the benefit of loving and serving Jesus. I bless you right now with dreams and with words and with possibility. I bless you right now that you will know God in a way that you've never known before, that the Holy Spirit will come and visit you, that you will be excited, that you will be on fire, that you will be stirred up, and that you will be passionate for the things of God. I bless you with spiritual hunger because Jesus wants to satisfy that. I bless you to be the people of God, called out, separated, special, holy, and His. I call it out in Jesus' name right now. I attach it to you. Let nothing tear it asunder. Pray this over all of our campuses, all people listening to me, everybody who will let me have authority right now, who hears my voice. I bless you. On behalf and for God, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, let's go ahead and we'll stand up right now. As our worship pastors come and close out our service, we'll take the time to respond to God. Use it as a time to tell Him yes. Use it as a time to tell Him that you do believe. Give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to do something with this message.